Well, I'm so excited for today. I'm excited for you to hear this message. And um, we're in this season, this year-end uh, season of Golden Spike, which basically is just this idea of generosity and giving to Jesus what he has given to us. And, um, and so we just want to invite you to be a part, to nail your spike down, to be a part of, of this offering, this year-end offering you have until the end of the year. Um, it's Fresh Life. All the information is there for you. But um, please be a part. We, we're so grateful for you. And um, getting to be a part of serving God and loving Him together is such a joy. So um, I have some fragrance. This will give you a little teaser of what's to come in this message. But love you so much. Well, we have been in... This beautiful season, the Golden Spike series, who has just been rocked by God's truth, by history, who is thankful that we have a pastor who is also a historian. It's very helpful. I feel like I'm going to school all over again, and I feel like this should count for some kind of schooling, right? I mean, if we're taking notes and we're learning things, it's real, like it's history that we're learning. I feel like it should count, but I'll, it counts. In my mind, it counts to me and to you, so that's good. Um, well, I just wanted to tell you that um, Levi and I love you all so much. All across our church, online, um, we're so grateful. A few months ago, we were talking about dreams, and we were saying how Fresh Life is a dream come true for us and how God has just unfolded and birthed this beautiful thing that was only a dream in our hearts, but is so much more because God does so much more. He can put a dream in your heart, but then it, it becomes exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or imagine, and that's life with our God. That's life with our King. A few announcements. Um, well, we're in a season, Christmas at Fresh Life, which is awesome. Um, uh, December 24th, Christmas Eve, we have Christmas Eve gatherings, um, also online as well. Um, I think it's different at every campus. There's different times. Um, I know for online, we have two, four, and six, and I think that is also for Kalispell as well. Um, and we do have Christmas invitations um, ready for you. If I think we're handing them out at the door. Some of our campuses we have under the seat. So make sure you grab one and pray over who you could invite and who you could bring to Fresh Life Christmas because we know that the gospel will be preached. We know that a message of hope will be preached. We know that we're going to be gathering and it's going to be so special. So make sure you think about, pray about who you want to invite. Also, just so you know, there's no gathering on December 26th. So stay in your PJs, eat your cinnamon rolls, just enjoy the day with your family and friends, and maybe that's a chance for you to get together with your Fresh Life group or whatever, but that's your day to just chill. So there's that. Um, also, I just want to add my voice to what a beautiful weekend it's been at Fresh Life with Mary Market. I just want to honor Samantha and Autumn and their team and crew of people. I, was, I asked for a list of names of who were people who were just killing it with Mary Market this year, and they sent me this huge list of, of people. And so I just want to honor every single one of you. Thank you for being a part of this super special thing that I think is one of the most special things that we get to be a part of as a church in our communities to serve families, to, to serve kids, to, 
to make the parents the hero and let them pick the toys out for their kids and let them give the toys to their kids. And it's really special. So I just want to thank every single person in our church who works so hard. And I think most, a lot of our Merry Markets happened where we are gathering right now. So there was a team of people who last week literally took away all the chairs. I was talking with someone and then I looked up and all the chairs were gone. And, and then they had to bring them back in and were and set everything up for the weekend. And so let's just give a hand to all of our amazing impact team and staff who just works so hard to love God and love people. Um, and as we've been learning about this tra transcontinental railroad, I have just been blown away by um, the connection of history and the connection of the gospel. And what's so cool is uh, we're in now this Christmas season at Fresh Life, and Christmas has a lot to do with trains. So that's awesome, and that's a perfect segue into Christmas at Fresh Life. So um, my honor today is to get to open God's word with you. Um, you can go ahead and open to Mark. It's in the the New Testament, chapter 14. And for those of you who are new and who don't know me, I'm Jenny Lesko. I get to be married to our pastor, Levi Lesko. And um, every once in a while, I'll come up here and um, get to teach and share and, and preach and speak. And so every once in a while, I'm up here. But just so you know, if you haven't seen my face, here I am. Um, but I want to talk to you today about living the kind of life that sets the track, that lays the track for Jesus to be front and center in our lives and to be front and center to lead us to bring the gospel to other people, to bring the gospel to the people who are hurting and hopeless. And as we've been learning in this series, we all have a part to play in that. I mean, if you just, if you imagine a train coasting down the railroad, the only way that it can coast is if those tracks are laid down. If there's even one part that is out, that train is derailed, and that's not a good thing. And so for us, what we've been learning is that we each have a part to play, and last week we got to gather and give an offering above and beyond our tithes to see God move more, to, to give toward expansion, to give toward, um, and you've seen hopefully all the list of, of outreach initiatives that we get to be a part of as a church that we're giving specifically to, and then also just the growth and expansion of our church, of Fresh Life. But if every single person does what God's called them to do, that enables the gospel to go out and that enables the, um, the Lord to move in our lives in such special and unique ways. And so today, I want to talk about what it looks like to lay down the track in our own lives. I want to look at this woman in the Bible that we're going to read about, um, Mary. And we're going to learn, uh, my message today is called The Fragrance of Fruitfulness. The Fragrance of Fruitfulness. And then my subtitle, if we get to it, if I don't go so long, and you all know if you've heard me, I tend to go long, um, but it'll be good. Um, but my subtitle is, so you can put in parentheses, The Fruitcake 
you were born to be. We'll see if we get there, so hopefully it'll make sense. Christmas. There's something about Christmas that most of us love. I mean, some of us maybe are Grinches, but for the most part, there's something about Christmas that we just love and we just crave. And I mean, are there anyone, is there anyone here in our church who they'll decorate for Christmas the day after Halloween? Is that anybody? A few of you? Okay, okay, okay. How about the day after Thanksgiving? Who's a purist? Yes, you celebrate Thanksgiving and then you celebrate Christmas. Okay, that's usually where we are. But this, week, this year, for some reason, it was the week before Thanksgiving. And Levi and I just got the, the like, hankering for some Christmas decorations. So we turn on Christmas music, and um, my husband is addicted to these um, Christmas blow-up things that you put in the front yard. He's like, every year we're going to do a family trip to Lowe's, and we're going to get Starbucks, and then we're going to go get a blow-up toy. And I'm like, where are all these going to go? So we decorated for Christmas, and uh, it just felt... It felt good, but it also felt wrong because it was like, wait, do I take away my Thanksgiving decorations? Not that I really decorate for Thanksgiving. I'm not a big decorator. Like, I know that there are some people who go all out for all the holidays, and I'm not generally that big of one, but Christmas is, um, is one of them. But there's a feeling about Christmas. There's a feeling. There's a warmth. There's a coziness. There's a... There's something about it that we long for. It's like when a year is hard, which we've been through some hard years these past couple of years. When the year's hard, it's like, oh, let's just start decorating for Christmas in August. And then we could just get that feeling of Christmas, that feeling of safety, that feeling of love. Um, back in September, I brought Levi a coffee in bed, which sometimes I do. Sometimes if I wake up earlier than him, I'll make him coffee and I'll bring it up to him. But I brought it to him and he was like, coffee in bed? It, it feels like Christmas. And I just, that stuck in my mind of just when we feel of some, when we feel something warm, when we feel something loving, when we feel something good, it just feels like Christmas. And it's interesting to me, before we go into what we're going to study, it's interesting to me that Christmas that we celebrate, it wasn't called Christmas in the Bible. It wasn't like, oh, Jesus is here, it's Christmas time, it's all warm and fuzzy and wonderful and nice. Actually, the first Christmas ever celebrated was apparently, I didn't know this, so if you already did, sorry, but I learned this, so maybe you will too. Christmas wasn't actually celebrated until around 336 in the Roman Empire began by Constantine, and then Christmas wasn't established as a federal holiday in America until June 26th, 1870, and that was surprising to me. But the first Christmas didn't feel like the kind of Christmas that we enjoy and that we love and the, the songs and the decorations and the, the eggnog latte and the peppermint mocha. Like the first Christmas that was ever celebrated where Jesus came and was born was actually the opposite of that. If you look back and read the Christmas story, which I know we're starting Christmas at Fresh Life, and I'm not even actually reading a Christmas passage, but if you do, you'll notice that there is actually a lot of heartache, fatigue, 
coldness. Mary and Joseph were traveling. Mary was very, very pregnant, riding on a donkey to Bethlehem where they were headed. And there was no, like, they didn't get there and there was a a hotel room ready for them. There wasn't, like, a warm bed and blankets. And, like, they came to Bethlehem. And there was no room for them in the inn that they could have stayed at and should have stayed at. So when, they were, when Mary was getting ready to give birth, she, they, the only place that was available was this cave slash den slash barn where animals were. And she's literally giving birth in a barn. And, and sometimes I think because we have our mangers, we think of like, or a manger nativity set, we think of like, oh, it was a clean barn with a clean manger and clean animals. And like, in my mind, that's what you think. But it was way back then. And I don't think, I, maybe people cleaned their animals. I don't know. But regardless, there was dirt around them. There was poop around them. There was not great fragrance, not great smells around them. This was not what we think of as Christmas when we're going into the holidays and, and excited for this feeling that we get about Christmas. There's Merry Christmas. There's Happy Holidays. There's, a, there's an excitement about Christmas. And what is it about Christmas that brings us that feeling? And I want to talk about that today. My husband mentioned last week how so many of us follow goodness and happiness and things and mercy and love. And, but what he was saying last week was that's just empty. When we follow the things, the, when we follow the feeling, when we follow the goodness, when we follow the things that we're craving, the warmth that we're feeling, the, the key is to follow the good shepherd. In Psalm 23, that's what it talks about, following the good shepherd and goodness and mercy will follow after you. So it's not about chasing after those warm feelings. It's not about chasing after the goodness and chasing after the merry and the happy and the holiday. It's about chasing after Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today. If we're meant to follow Jesus first, then those good feelings will follow regardless of what we're going through. But what does this look like? So we're opened up here to Mark chapter 14. Excuse me and all my things up here. Normally when I'm studying or reading, I have like four drinks in front of me because it's like hot tea, cold tea, sparkling water, juice. (laughs) Just so that I have my options open. Okay. Chapter 14 of the book of Mark, to give some context, um, it was close to Passover. Jesus was literally on his way to the cross, and he stopped in Bethany, and in verse 3, chapter 14, it says, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, A woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard, 
Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there was some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And Father, as we open your word, we put it out before us. We know that it is living and it is powerful. And we ask for you to open the eyes of our hearts, to open the eyes of our understanding, to see and to receive what you have for us today. Because we know that you want to speak to us. We know that as we open your word that it it speaks and that it's you. And so we, we say, here we are. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting because in we see the same story in Mark, in Matthew, and in John. And in Mark and Matthew, it just says a woman. A woman came up to Jesus and broke this alabaster flask of very costly oil and poured it on his head. But in John, we see that It's actually Mary, and this Mary was the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And what is just incredible about this moment is that it says that um, Jesus, being in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper. Now, this is beautiful because Jesus hung out with the people who the religious people would not associate with because they were unclean. These people were unclean lepers and prostitutes prostitutes and tax collectors. The religious people of that day would even walk through the, the streets and like hold their coats in so that they wouldn't, their coats wouldn't even touch anybody because people were unclean. But here's Jesus who is eating dinner with people at this man, Simon, who was a leper, his house. And I love that. Jesus will come where he's invited. And I just think for us this season, are we inviting Jesus into our hearts? Are we inviting him into our marriages? Are we inviting him into our relationships? Are we inviting him into our lives, into our homes? Because he'll come. If you invite him in, he'll come in. He's ready. And as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask. Now, this is interesting to me because... We see in John, the book of John, this, and that's in John 12, verses 1 through, um, John 12, verses 2 through 12, and then Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13, you, we see this story in those passages. But John tells us that Lazarus was sitting at the table. Now, in those days, 
you weren't, you didn't pull up a chair and sit at a table, but you reclined at a, at a table. So it was a low table and there'd be pillows and blankets and you would just kind of recline and cozy up. And I just imagine Jesus there, and I don't know how many people were at the table, but when John said that Lazarus was reclining at the table also, it opened my eyes to see, wow, this man who, I don't know if you're familiar with, but this was at a time where this man, Lazarus, he was sick and he had died. And Jesus came and raised him back to life. And that's another reason why I'm surprised that Matthew and Mark don't say that this was Mary because Mary and Martha and Lazarus were really special to Jesus. So it's interesting to me that they wouldn't name her. But this is so beautiful because here Mary comes to Jesus and she most likely had to kneel because Jesus was reclining. And her brother who had died and who Jesus had raised to life was just sitting there eating dinner with Jesus and her friends. And I imagine that with all of that emotion of my brother is alive, he is not dead, he was dead. He was actually buried and he was wrapped in the, the cloths and he was put in, I had to roll the stone over, like he was dead. But my brother is alive, and this man, Jesus, raised him from the dead. And this man, Jesus, has changed my life. And we see um, all through the um, New Testament, not all through the New Testament, there's a few parts of the New Testament where we see Mary. And every time we see her, she's at Jesus' feet. There's this part in the Bible where um, Martha and Mary are, are hosting Jesus, and Martha's... Um, concerned because she needs help, but Mary's not helping her. But where's Mary? Mary's at Jesus's feet and she's learning from him and she's listening to him. When her brother died and Jesus came a few days later, we find Mary grieving and confused and crying out at Jesus's feet. And here in this passage, we see Mary worshiping at Jesus's feet. She breaks this flask of oil. And I was wondering, I was just like, why would you have to break it? Can you just unscrew the lid? But this kind of oil was so precious. It was used by kings, first of all. And when it was used, it, you would break. It basically, there was like a long neck of the bottle. And you would break the top of it. And then you would use the oil. And it says that she poured it on Jesus's head. Now this costly oil of spikenard, it said it cost 300 denarii or denarii, I don't know, which was basically a year's wages. So this was a whole year's wages in a bottle. And Mary kneels at Jesus's feet and she anoints his head. And in John, it also, yes, in John, it says that she also anointed his feet and she wiped it with her hair. The word oil here is also the word myrrh, which if you know when Jesus was born, actually a few years after he was born and the wise men came and brought gifts to him, there was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And gold was for um, royalty. Frankincense was for 
Sheesh. There's literally like a, a ghost fly that is just always here. Anyways, it's like winter. Flies are supposed to be not around, right? Anyways. Frankincense, which um, is for, do you know? Okay, so both frankincense and gold, and frankincense and myrrh are for burial, basically. They're just the, the oil, um, the, the fragrance that people would be embalmed with, basically. And so in the, with the wise men bringing those gifts, I mean, that's kind of weird. Like, to a baby, I don't know about you, but when my kids were babies, we wouldn't just, we wouldn't bring, give them like these expensive gifts because they're babies. They have, what do they know? They don't know. So it's like, oh, you get a little outfit. That's all. <laughs> but these wise men brought to baby Jesus gifts for a king because he was the king. And what's interesting to me is that now this it's, it says that it's a word that means myrrh, so it's just a perfumed oil. Um, but that um, she poured this on Jesus' feet and head. And the people surrounding her, and I don't know how many people were in that room, but I know that Jesus' disciples were there. In, mo in two of the accounts, it said that some of those present were filled with indignation in this moment. Mary breaks this, I mean, okay, so it said one pound in, I think in the, in John it says one pound. So this is a pound of oil. Now that's a lot of oil. Like most little like essential oils are like 0.5 milliliters or ounces, maybe ounces. Um, this is my, one of my husband's cologne, and it's 3.33 fluid ounces. So this is just three ounces. This is my perfume, and this is 3.3 ounces. So I'm just imagining this beautiful alabaster flask. That's, it has a pound of oil in it. And so she comes and she breaks the, um, the top of it, and first of all, I just want to stop and say that God uses broken things. And sometimes when he, he, when he breaks something, it's because he wants to use it. And I just want to speak that over you. Uh, maybe there's some of you here who just feel broken and who just feel the weight of um, heartache and struggle and pain. And I just want to speak over to you that you're not, you're not broken. Even if you feel broken, and maybe you, you are you're not in God's eyes, and God wants to use you, and God wants to flow his, his love through you to other people in the midst of the brokenness that you might feel, and he wants to heal you too. Anyways, that was a side note, but this is extravagant moment of worship was met with criticism and indignation, and it says that some of those there, some of the disciples were said that it was a waste. It literally says that they said, which another account said that it was Judas, only Judas, but then these other ones say that some of them were there. So that shows us that maybe one, maybe Judas was the one, but as he was talking, 
there were other disciples and people there that were like, yeah, that actually makes sense. Why this waste? But here's what they said. They were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Now here's this woman, first of all, coming to Jesus. And in that day, it wasn't normal. Like for even for Mary to to kneel at Jesus' feet and be his disciple and learn from him, that wasn't normal in that culture. Women weren't allowed to just come up at a guy's table and just sit and be a part of the conversation. But Jesus invited her in. And that's one thing that is so beautiful about Jesus is that he invites women in. And it's interesting, even in history, um, women have been so put down and pushed down. But Jesus elevates women and sees the beauty in them and sees the, the heart of God in them. And so as women, I just want to encourage you, women who are here, that God has something special in you to show his heart to the people around you. Um, I don't know if I should admit this, but my daughter Olivia and I watched Mean Girls for the first time. It's very old. I was actually very shocked by it. I was like, okay, this is a lot. But um, so many of us as women are like that. We are mean. We are catty. We are not kind, but God has created us to be kind and to show his love and to carry that heart of God in that mother, motherly way um, in our lives to the people in our lives. But here's Mary. I keep getting sidetracked. Here's Mary. She's kneeling at Jesus's feet. And even the fact that she let her hair down in John, where it says that she anointed Jesus's feet and then wiped it with her hair, That was unheard of because normally women would cover their heads and not let their hair down because that was, I don't know if it was dishonoring, but it was just more of like you let your hair down when you're at home, in bed, not in front of people kind of thing. But her worship and adoration was met with criticism and indignation. It's interesting to me because the hypocrite will always reveal themselves by the way they respond to the sacrifice of others. And we've all been there. I know I have. It's so easy to let that spirit of hypocrisy in your own heart. And I just want to remind you that we have to be aware of religiosity And know that when we offer sacrifice, when we give extravagantly, when we worship Jesus, it will be met with criticism and it will be met with indignation and it will be met with religiosity. There will be people who you think, oh, they love God. And they are the ones that show the criticism. They're the ones that are saying unkind things. And so we need to be aware of that, of others, but also be aware of that in our own hearts. Uh, My husband preached a series called Off the Chain, and it was all about Galatians. We studied through the book of Galatians, and it just pointed our finger to us of where is their religiosity and trying to get things done on my own strength. Where is that in my own heart? Where is that in me? But the huge thing to note 
is what Jesus thought of this. Jesus began to commend and admire Mary. What others saw as waste, Jesus saw as worship. He says, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. When you bring your heart and your talent and your treasure to Jesus, what others may view as waste, he sees it as worship because he sees our heart. And yes, our heart is full of deceit. And sometimes I'm like, wait, am I, what motive am I doing this in? Am I, am I, what am I doing? And I think when God, God sees our hearts and he sees even the, the little bit of motive that maybe we're doing something so that it can be seen by others, but he sees our heart and he receives it. This is how we lay the track. When we are worshiping Jesus, when we are living our lives as worship to him, we're laying the track and we're doing our part and we're nailing the spike down in our sphere, in our place, and we're doing our part. So it says that she poured oil on his head. And now when I think of like an essential oil or perfume, a little goes a long way. Now, I remember in middle school, boys would wear cool water. And I, I remember that smell is burnt into my brain, my amygdala. I, there's cool water in there because I think, I don't know, but I think middle school boys, they're just trying to like cover up their smell, like not take a shower. So oh, I'm not gonna take a shower, I'll just pour some more of this on. But a little goes a long way. So for anyone who's wondering, any, any boys out there, a little, one squirt, it's perfect. Just take a shower and then one squirt. But she literally breaks the flask and pours the oil on Jesus' head and pours the oil on Jesus' feet. She poured it all out. And when the disciples or those who were there were criticizing, that does, that question does come to my mind, why this waste? Why, why would you do that? I mean, now we all smell like this. But this was part of what God had put in her heart to do. And what's so beautiful is that it says that she had done what she could. She did what she could. And I don't know how she got this flask of costly oil that kings would use, I don't know if it was an heirloom. I don't know if someone had given it to her as a gift, but this was her way of telling Jesus that he was worth everything to her and that he was the center of her life. She poured it out. In your life, what, how, can you be pouring out to Jesus, pouring out your heart, pouring out your life to Jesus? It says that Jesus said, 
that she did this beforehand to anoint him for his burial. Do you think that Mary knew? He, here's the thing. Jesus always said, hey, I'm going to die and rise again the third day. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. And no one ever caught that. Like, he would say something, and then the disciples would just start, like, bickering about something else. But here he is, and he's saying that Mary anointed his body for burial. Now, I don't think she knew what she was doing. But I think that she was led by the Spirit to worship Jesus in an extravagant, unique way. And this was her way of showing that to him. And it ended up being, this was the only time that he was anointed before burial. Because he was arrested in the garden, and he was led to the cross and crucified. And there wasn't ever that, the ritual of, in that day, anointing before burial. And so literally this was that moment for Jesus. And the end, the end result, as we see in John, is that the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. The result of keeping Jesus as the center is that the house will be filled with the fragrance of worship. Okay, now, we're going to talk about fruitfulness. So my title is The Fragrance of fruitfulness. Now we're going into fruitfulness. Um, if you turn now to John chapter 15, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. <clears throat> First of all, I just want to tell a quick story. Um, when I was in fourth grade, I went to a new school. It was a private school, and everyone in the school, guys and girls, had to take ballet and tap and music, everyone. And so I had never taken ballet, but I enter into this school, and I start taking ballet. And I find that I actually really love it. And I think it's because my ballet teacher really was amazing. She, she loved Jesus. The school was not a Christian school, but she loved Jesus. And I think her love for Jesus and for ballet just it impacted me greatly. And here I am, a fourth grader, and awkward, and I've told you about my glasses and, you know, just feeling awkward already. But she just invited me in. And she was a professional ballerina in New York, and then she was just a this ballet teacher and tap dance teacher at this elementary and middle school. And she deeply impacted my life. And actually recently I was looking just to look up her obituary and there was literally nothing that described her. I, I saw her husband's obituary and that was the only information that I had from her life because it described her, how she died of breast cancer, which she went to heaven in 2002, but I didn't even know that she had breast cancer. The way she lived her life, the way she invested in me and in all her other students was so beautiful. Like I, ne I never knew that she was struggling. I never knew that she was battling cancer. But I just wanna kind of put a pin in that picture of being fruitful where you are. Because she could have just taught ballet, because I think so many teachers can just kind of teach I'll just learn this, get a good grade, and then move on. But 
she taught with the heart to instill and the heart to um, instill joy and hope and fun. And I will tell you, if you're looking for me in heaven, I am going to be a dancer in a, the, the theater, and I'm going to be a dancer in the Cirque du Soleil, and I'll be a backup dancer for Justin Bieber. So just so you know, if you're looking for me, I'm going to be dancing, because that's, in my heart, I, I'm still a ballerina, and I'm still a dancer at heart, so that's where I'll be, just anyways. Um, but I love this, this example of fruitfulness that my dance teacher displayed. But what was so sad was, like I said, there was nothing that described her life on the obituary that I looked. And I was so confused by that because I was like, she left such an impact on me. But why wouldn't anything be written about her? And maybe there is on her tombstone. Maybe there is somewhere. But I just couldn't find it. But this is so beautiful because this, it made me think of Mary. Because the only time we see her say anything was when she said after her brother died, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not would have not died. But the way her life was of being at Jesus' feet, of learning from him, of grieving, of bringing her problems and her struggles to him at his feet, of worshiping him at his feet, her actions spoke louder than her words. And I love that it, Jesus said that he would, the, there would be a memorial for her wherever the gospel would be preached. John 15 Okay, we're going to wrap this up, okay? John 15. When I, when I read and you see the underlined up on the screen, read that with me, okay? So John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, this is in red, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, bear fruit, <laughs> sorry, I said that too fast, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may Bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, whether it can, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. All that to say, what do we see here? God's heart for us is to what? To bear fruit. To bear, not only bear fruit, but to bear much fruit. We see in Genesis 1, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That was our first order. That was our first task as humans was to be fruitful and multiply. So that tells me, and along with John 15, that we were created and designed to be fruitful. Healthy, good fruit bears more fruit. Literally, fruit is designed to bear more fruit because it has seeds inside of it so that the seeds can be planted to bear more fruit. The seeds are in you to bear fruit and to bear more fruit and to bear much more fruit. God's heart for you, fresh life, for you, believer, is that you would bear 
much fruit, that you would be fruitful in this life that God has called you to. Okay, so I said fruitcake would be the end of my message. Fruitcake. I've never tasted it. And the only thing I've heard about it is that it's horrible. But as I was researching it, it was so interesting to me because it was, um, it was way back in the day. It was, I should write this down, but I didn't. But um, where uh, in England, I believe, maybe it was Rome. I don't know. Anyways, it's this cake that you can make with like dried fruit and um, rum. Some people put like alcohol in it and it's just like dense. And apparently it's good fresh, but it's actually better like in the like long run. So like a year, someone said like a year later, that just is so gross to me. And if anyone like on social media or if you run into me around town or while traveling, you can tell me like actually fruit cake is really good and I have this recipe and if you could give it to me because I'm very intrigued by this whole idea of fruit cake. However, I believe that if we're called to bear fruit, that in a sense, we're called to be a fruitcake. Now, I know like fruitcake can mean something not good. Um, but in this sense, fruitcake, I believe that God wants us to bear so much fruit that we can make a cake out of it. That there would be so much fruit coming from our life. That there would be such extravagant worship coming from our lives. That there would be such adoration of Jesus. That there would be such love for others coming through our lives that we could make a fruitcake out of it. And that sounds so cheesy, but I just, it, it sounded better in my mind. Now that I'm saying it, it's not that great. But maybe you won't forget it. Maybe you'll, that will be the one thing that you remember from this message, that you were born to be a fruitcake, to bear fruit, to bear much fruit. When you're walking in what you were born to do, when you rise up and take your place and love Jesus and obey him, and live life to the full, that is what this life is all about. And then and only then can we experience the real feeling and meaning and joy that Christmas offers to us. Now, there's a song I just heard the other day. It said, Christmas, don't let me down. But Christmas will let us down. But Jesus is the one who, on that first Christmas, changed everything. Jesus is the one that on this Christmas is the only one who changes everything. You could give gifts. You could receive gifts. You could decorate beautifully. You could give all of your money to the poor, but it's all about Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, like we just read in John, you can do nothing. Today, December 12th, 2021, Nine years ago today was December 12th, 2012. 12, 12, 12. That was a cool day. Levi and I were in New York, and we had gotten in the rhythm of going to New York for a few days with other pastors and just getting to spend time with them and talk about the joys of ministry, the heartache of ministry, just get to be in each other's lives. And it became something that we looked forward to. And this year it happened to be around Christmas time. And so Christmas in New York is like legendary. There's lights, there's the 
biggest trees ever. There's the storefronts are all just beautifully um, decorated. And so here we are, we're feeling Christmas. We're feeling it. We're in New York. It's cold. We're bundled up. We're getting the frozen hot chocolate from serendipity. And it's just magical and romantic and everything. That night, we decided to go to church. And we went to this church service. And the pastor spoke this message. And then afterwards, he got back up and was just like, hey, we're going to have a time of just waiting on the Lord. And so worship music was playing. We would worship. And then he would speak something and prophesy and at one point he pointed me out in the crowd and he said Jenny I don't know you but God loves you and in the coming days God's God's got you and he's holding you and he's taking care of you and he's got your back and he's going to use you powerfully to to speak the word. I honestly, I mean, we had a recording of it, so I got to go back and listen to it. But in the moment, I'm just like, I don't even know what he's saying. I'm weeping. All I know is that God is literally depositing something into my soul personally out of a room and like a thousand people. Little did I know that two days later would be that horrible shooting um, at that elementary school in Connecticut. And we'd be sitting there with our little girls. We had four girls. And we were just, how on earth could someone bury their five-year-old, five-year-old? And there was just an ache and a heaviness and praying for these families. And gosh, God, this, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel like Christmas. This is horrible. And then six days later would be when our world would fall to pieces and our daughter, a five-year-old daughter, Lenya, was taken from us, died suddenly of an asthma attack and just suddenly in heaven. That didn't feel like Christmas. It felt like hell. The bottom dropped out. And with that heaviness, I just want to remind you, there are some of you here who are hurting this season. Maybe you've put up the tree, but there's an ache in your soul because things aren't the way they were. That person who was always in your life is not in your life anymore. The marriage that you once poured so much into and loved, that marriage is gone. You're in your singleness, it's just hurting. You want to be married, but you're single and you're alone. I just want to speak over you that you may not have the feeling of Christmas, but that doesn't matter because the whole reason why there is a Christmas is because of Jesus. Jesus changes everything. And whether you're at a place where you're celebrating and this actually is a great year and you feel great, or you're on the other side and 
it's hard for you to wake up in the morning. And if you hear one more Christmas song, you might punch somebody. Jesus is the center of it all. There wasn't warm feelings at the first Christmas, but Jesus was there. And that moment changed it for all of us. And so we can walk through the storm. We can walk through the heartache. We can walk through the pain. We can walk through the struggle because Jesus is with us. And in Jesus, we have everything we need. And Lord, we look to you in this moment. We look up. Some of us may feel that weight on our chest that feels like it holds us down and prevents us from getting our next breath. Some of us are having a hard time navigating and wondering where to step next, how to step next. But God, we just recognize and realize that you, our God, our King, our Creator of the heavens and the earth, You created us and you love us. Right where we are, right in the mess that we're in, right here and right now, you see. And I just wanna pray for every person who is hurting this season, who is not feeling the good feelings, but who's feeling the heartache. Someone in the last service said that they felt healing, like the, the spike nard, the oil covering over the grief that they had experienced long ago. And I pray that over every single person who has an ache, who has a pain, who has a rough edge, who has a, a part of their life that is just tender. Holy Spirit, would you pour out on those places? Would you pour out on these hearts? Would you pour out in the struggle? Would you, would you grease the wheels of our hearts, of our souls, of our lives?
say that we need you. We can do nothing without you. We could give everything. We could give our house. We could give our car. We could give money. We could give everything, but it doesn't make a difference if it's not with you as the center of it. So Lord, in this season, in this Christmas season, we invite you in to be the center of our lives, to not just be on the side, to not just be peripheral, but to be front and center in our lives, in our marriages, in our homes. Lord, we trust you and we thank you and we surrender to you, God. And I wanna pray now for anyone who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't yet have that relationship with him. And it is really so much more simple than you might think. You don't have to do anything to earn his love. You don't have to go anywhere or, or say anything. He loves you right where you are. His grace abounds to you right where you sit. And all you have to do is say, God, I surrender to you. I can't do anything on my own strength. I believe that you sent your son Jesus as a baby into this world, God in flesh, to dwell among us, to live a pure, sinless life, to die a death that he did not deserve and to rise from the death and in that, defeating death, yes. defeating the yes. grave, defeating pain and loss and heartache. And I surrender to you, God, and I say yes. I say I invite you into my life. Jesus, come into my life. And that's really all you have to do. You just say Jesus, say his name, Jesus. Jesus. 